0: With 3.7 billion people now using the internet, the amount of data produced every day is truly mind-boggling. Every single minute, we send 156 million emails, 16 million text messages, and we make 154,000 Skype calls. It is estimated that over the last two years alone, over 90% of the total data ever generated was generated in the world. Is it any wonder that big data is big business? Today on PG Podcast Network, we try to make sense of the rise and rise of big data and how companies can best use this tsunami of information to make better decisions and achieve better results in a marketing landscape, which is seemingly fragmenting on a daily basis. This is Paul Gardner, and today I'm joined by one of Australia's leading IT experts in digital data and marketing, Dougal McBurney, Managing Director of Versor based in Melbourne, Australia. Hi, Dougal. Good day, Paul. When did data become big data, and why does it matter so much today?
1: I think organisations have always had lots of data, but after probably 2000, the kind of phrase of big data kind of came into vogue. And, and why,
0: why 2000? Is it sort of...
1: Dot com, you know, the advent of digital becoming a bit more mainstream, so you collecting a lot more information about kind of web, website traffic and software and information like that uh, is different to what historically they were capturing in the 90s, and so it was just sort of transactional information. So, so you started to see a bit of it there, and then kind of moving up through to 2010, big data started, suddenly started to kind of be a part of everyone's language.
0: So... You heard the introduction that 90% of all data ever collected since man walked on the earth has been collected the last two years. I mean, that's a terrible tsunami of data. I mean, how, how, how do you cope with that sort of thing if you're a business? I think it's a huge challenge for businesses
1: because there is now so much data that becomes nearly too big a problem to kind of solve for. So organisations just revert back to how they previously did things. So you've kind of got to face into the data and understand... How are you going to unlock some value and anchor that back to helping your customers? So pick the use cases, pick some simple things and and break it down piece by piece. I mean, you know, how do you eat an elephant, you know, a bite at a time? It's kind of a similar analogy. You know, you're never going to solve it all at once, but if you never start, you'll never get there.
0: So I I know that Qantas frequent flyers has 12 million active customers. And Tech uh, have fifteen million. I have no idea what Flybys have. It must be a fortune. And the banks and the credit cards. I mean, is is it more important to gather the data or to analyse it now? There are harsh realities. You need a bit of both. You know. So yeah, cap- you can have too much data, like, can't you? you?
1: You can absolutely. You can capture every data bit that you've under the sun, and and you know, have huge storage in the cloud on that, and never get any value out of it at all. You know, you can. And I think the important thing is do you have a mechanism to analyse pieces of data that are going to help you drive whatever organisational kind of focus you've got. So if you're in marketing and you're in sort of retail and you want to start to personalise some communication, so I want to you know, send something to Paul that's really relevant, yeah. then you've got to break that user story down and go, okay, now I need to understand some data that's associated with that so I can send you the right email. So I know you surfed on The Age, fin Review. And now also I want to send you actually a subscription message you know, because I think I've got some relevancy about the sorts of things. So is that that programmatic? In previous years, yes. I think in current year, it's actually fully automated. If you think about where we're moving towards, it's using big data elements of it, using new ways of working, having data scientists as part of your team, building algorithms to help take uh, the outcomes of behaviours and create new hypotheses and then create new rules around that and then automate those campaigns. So it's constantly refining all the way back down to, ideally, a segmentation of one.
0: So if we go back sort of 10 years, a marketing department contained a chief marketing officer, which was a new term then, yeah. and, and marketing managers and marketing assistants, and now we're seeing things like content managers and social media. Do you, you think data scientists become part of that marketing team eventually?
1: I think absolutely. If you look at... Um, emerging and and leading organisations that that are really kind of the best in class, like an Amazon.com. Yeah. They'll have data scientists as part of a squad or a feature team structure, effectively a a group of marketers, content specialists, maybe brand specialists, data scientists, data engineers. What does a data
0: scientist do? So
1: a data scientist, they write algorithms Mm -hmm. to... Based on the best data that they do have access to, to try to predict what might happen next, and then what you're trying to do is run, so their
0: the future. So
1: um, they're scientists that are using evidence-based kind of algorithms to to have use that to inform the next action. So, then, so give
0: me give me an example. So I work for Maya yeah, and I get all the transactions from Maya that go through, yeah, and I look at the millions of dollars and millions of people that go through the cosmetics counter. Yep. So a data scientist then gets that. Okay, so they get that. And says the mecca store is not working at the front of the store. is it what they do? Or? Uh, I think that, you know, so you know, if we
1: lose that, it's a really good example. Down here in the mall, you've got people streaming into it. So maybe you've got sensors inside okay. that cosmetic area. So you're actually trying to understand how foot traffic's moving. And so then, you're
0: picking up people through their smartphones or something.
1: And cameras, you know. So, and cameras, yep, okay. Yep, cameras actually can identify that it's, you know, me and, and they can trace me through the, the actual kind of flow of it. So... If I know where the flow is moving, then I can predict which stores are maybe getting more traffic than not. And then if I can kind of associate that with sales, I can actually understand on a per-foot square basis who's under-indexing and over-indexing. But the data scientist will look at all that volume of data and and try to determine what offer I should receive to help drive you back into store at a certain point in time. So they might look at my pattern of purchasing behaviour and actually say, well, you know, roughly every three months, you know, I buy you know, Ralph Lauren fragrance. Yep. yep. Or two weeks before Mother's Day, I'm always in there, you know, buying some Chanel Number no. 5. So they know based on pre- previous behaviours what the sort of offer should be. So they help marketers being really specific. So you sending me something for um, Hugo Boss if I don't buy Hugo Boss, right? Well, what,
0: what, how, how do privacy issues come into that? Do I just opt in because I've walk, suddenly walked into a store? Or?
1: Well, you know, Maya has Maya One as a loyalty card, so they capture transactions. Yeah. you know, it's, it's a lot more difficult when I'm an anonymous user you know, to be able to do it, because you do have a whole lot of privacy issues. But that's why most organisations are so huge on growing their loyalty clubs. I mean, you already mentioned, Mm. you know, Mm. flybys. Mm. Flybys is about the data, so they absolutely can hit me with the right shopping, you know, supermarket offer when they know X, Y, Z product that I buy week in, week out is when Coke Zero is on special.
0: Dougal, has that happened because marketing, as we know, has become so fragmented that They're looking for the the new Holy Grail?
1: Well, I think for for the marketers, the world became hugely complex, you know. Once the the simple model of, you know, papers, you know, Saturday, Saturday advertising and some TVC slots you know moved into digital where now i've got not only within within digital probably 20 different channels yeah. so i've got paid advertising placement advertising i've got youtube insta facebook all right all competing for my dollars plus all the traditional channels and now they're trying to understand okay how to optimize the dollar i've got and where do i put it
0: well why don't i just why don't i just run an ad on married at first sight <laughs> Seems to <be> pretty popular <laughs> yeah <laughs> There's, there's one girl particularly particularly popular. So you, you mentioned before, before we came on here, that the, the, the MarTech, the marketing technologies, there was 150 marketing technologies in 2011. How many today?
1: 7,000.
0: 7,000.
1: Yeah, if you go to you know, chiefmartech.com, they've got a landscape there. Yeah. So suddenly you're sitting there as a CMO and you're trying to solve for maximising the value of the marketing dollars that you've got. And you're sitting there going, I've got 7,000 different ways of potentially driving value. And again, that gets back to the kind of analogy, it becomes such a big problem to solve. How do I go after it? So, so I've got
0: 7,000 uh, media options, yeah? Yep. And I've got a tsunami of data hitting me. <laughs> the, uh, the last time I looked, it just didn't appear in sort of any marketing 101 manuals. Like, how, how do I do this? What do I do? Yeah, and,
1: you know, to add a layer to that, as I think we talked about, you know, the emerging marketing functions are not just pure creative and brand, They've got data engineers in there. They've got data scientists. They're where marketing would previously just use technology as a service. You know, they'd get the credit card, they'd buy some, yeah? yeah? yeah. Or their agency would give them some. You know, or their IT internal org would provide them some. Now, actually, those people are embedded kind of side by side with the marketing team, working on campaigns, working on rules to optimise it, looking at the data that's coming streaming in from, you know, Facebook to do some kind of micro-segmentation. You know, everything's happening in inches. They're constantly refining where previously, you know, the models weren't there. So you're talking about changing ways of working fundamentally.
0: So the, the big thing, um, I read the other day in The, in the Age that they've invented a, a coffee distributor that's completely automated, that you press the numbers and this thing appears like something out of the Jetsons and serves you a latte. Or, I mean, is, is AI the next big thing? Robotics the next big thing?
1: Yeah, look, AI is, AI is definitely coming. You know, and coming at speed. And Which
0: then gives you more data, right?
1: Way more data.
0: So it's all about uh, and, the data?
1: And automation and insights. I mean, you know, you're really building, ultimately, trying to build a, a behavioral model if you're in a B2C kind of space, a behavioral model about how your customers are interacting with you and how you think they might interact and where they're interacting. So these attribution models, as they're called, here might have hundreds of attributes. Over time, might have thousands of attributes as you're interacting with them. But you've certainly got to be prepared for AI because it is, in, it is coming, it is happening in certain industries. Data science is happening with anger in certain industries yeah, and industries that may not be top of mind for some people like Mining
0: companies. Yeah, so the trucks move by themselves, right? Yeah. Absolutely. So I, re- I read a thing once that said the, the New Queensland Mine had moved from 4,000 employees 30 years ago to 14, and they're all motor mechanics yeah. on site. The rest, they just drive from someplace in Sydney like you drive drones, you know? Yeah,
1: it's a, they're remotely managing. But they had,
0: to, they had to build in a default mechanism that the cars moved a millimetre either side because they kept ruining the roads because they're so perfect.
1: Yep, yeah, GPS to, the, to, you know, drop it on a five cent piece, right? But it's an industry that's embraced it and they've embraced it for safety. Think about it. You know, so they've got fewer people on some of the mine sites. You know, it is, it is improving, you know, safety because, you know, people and machinery, you know, something is quite complex to manage. So, and, you know, through that, they're also, you know, decreasing downtimes through this data science. They're predicting when a particular truck might stop. You know, they might put a sensor inside a wheel yeah, axle, yeah, sure. so they predict the vi- based on vibrations. They'll actually pull that into maintenance early, rather than letting it shred a wheel and block a drive a drive shaft. So this is happening, and, and I think heavy assets is a great industry. I think you know B two C retail, you know, they're suddenly you know trying to build real time models into you know kind of advertising carousels on your mobile apps as well.
0: So twenty years after they put a man on the moon, they put wheels on luggage. So it's come a long way since then, right? It has, it has. What uh, what does an ROI look like today, you think? uh, Industry by
1: industry, right? Yeah.
0: Um,
1: You know, I think the the days of, you know, kind of mega programs of work that take kind of years before you start to see value... Mm -hmm. You know, there's certainly, by the the way, because, you know, the the CMOs of the world, you know, the CFOs of the world, the CIOs, they're all looking for value in kind of Q1, Q2, Q3 after kicking it off. So they're they're looking for that more incremental approach. You know, we're going to give you some money. We understand your strategy. We understand where the value is. We understand how you're going to go after it. And I think they're the choices that, you know, the executives are are making today because I can't solve every problem. So which problems am I going to choose to solve for? And that's the hardest thing in a lot of organisations, you know, choosing effectively what not to do in kind of horizon views, yeah.
0: So, so what, what's coming? Give, give, give me the future view from you from Verso. I mean, what, what am I looking forward to? Am I, am I scared? Am I excited? Am I about to lose my workforce? What's going to happen?
1: Look, I, I think that there's, you know, through every era of digitisation, because that's all we're doing. We're in the kind of, you know, fourth industrial age. Yep. You know, in the 90s, we had... You know, digitisation with big organisations putting in ERP systems. Yeah, taking out paper, putting in systems to enter. Right, that was the you know, waves Good. of automated. Next thing you know, we had self service. Right, that that took out effectively roles in organisations, but created new ones. You know, suddenly now we're into you know full web apps and mobile apps. That are the third wave, and now we're getting into full automation and artificial intelligence. But it creates new roles. It creates organisations, new opportunities for revenue. Um, it's about how you adjust to it and how you transition to it um, and making sure you don't leave the jump too late. So, you know, if you're, you know, if we look at some classic organisations, maybe overseas where, you know, they're an re- overseas retailer, you know, they took too long to respond so to. So Kodak. Yeah, well, so that's, the, that's the case study, right? Yeah, yeah, There've yeah. There have been plenty of others too. Yeah, sure. Plenty of retailers in the US that didn't yeah. embrace.
0: Plenty them. of retailers in Australia too.
1: Yeah, some, they didn't embrace the, the digital side of it. You know, they weren't in a position to either invest the capital
0: or make the shift. Um, so when Maya, for instance, decided that they were going to combat online, they decided they'd be open 24 hours a day. And all they attracted in the middle of winter were people, people homeless people want to sleep on the beds and the couches. Yeah, I think that there's probably other ways to solve it. Right? <laughs> <laughs> they could have tried to embrace it. So if you, if you look at your business now, which is Versawe, and you talk about evidence-based decision-making, what, what does that mean?
1: That means, you know, you've integrated data into making operational and strategic decisions every day. So that is that feature team that I talked to you about. That's, yep. They're a Scrum team in a marketing function. Yeah, you know, they're looking at what happened yesterday. They're looking at the data. They're looking at what you did. You know, what I did. What the offer. Um, was sent, who opened it, who didn't, which ones open on the mobile app, which one's you know, click through on SMS. Using all of that data, they've already run the alg- they've already run the analysis on it. The data scientist has run some predictive kind of models about, well actually if we tweak these five things, we're going to get a five percent uplift. And we're gonna do that today. So
0: it's all about efficiency and, and, and ROI.
1: It's informed decision making. It doesn't mean the data is perfect. And and I think that you know when people talk about evidence based yeah. decision making, sometimes people jump to a view that says it absolutely has to be perfect, and and natural fact you don't you don't ever get there, right? You'll never make any decision. You need good enough data, you know, because you're still applying. That's why people are important, right? You've got experience and judgment to apply to that. And so, if you look at that scenario I just talked about, and you're making decisions daily. Yeah, you know, the next level of that's obviously the full automation of that. You know, Amazon.com make ten thousand different real-time decisions across their campaigns and offers every single day. They send out 10,000 different ones and in real time they're analysing where it's getting traction and where it's not and refining it back to the ones that work and then spreading them right across the country. So,
0: so you're going to put your money in Amazon or Alibaba. Which one do you choose and why? Yeah,
1: you know, I think both of them are great platforms depending on your market, right? Well, one's
0: clearly Chinese and one's clearly global. I mean, who wins?
1: It's a big population in China and they have quite a captive market you know, to uh, leverage. You've got Ali and AliPlay you know, as well. I think that uh, both of them represent probably quite good value
0: in different lenses. Well, I think, I think Amazon's just cut their value in half as Mr. Bezos has moved on. And he's <laughs> 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 but Alibaba, I, I think, is still going strong. So, let, let, well, let, you look at the play. Look at the play. Yeah. It's a mega platform play. They're all after
1: your wallet. Okay? And the banks, I think there was something in the Fin Review, like literally last week the week before, you know, the banks have forecast to have I don't know, $20 billion worth of revenue at risk over the next decade. Yeah. Because Ali you know, wants your money. You know, Mark Zuckerberg can have Zuckerbucks yeah, right, yeah. coming soon. Yeah. Okay? Because once they control your wallet, they already know everything about you. I mean, Facebook knows it backwards and forwards, right? Which has a whole other issue about privacy and what they do with that data. But if we just kind of look at the,
0: the question... So, so how, how does Versil keep ahead of the curve?
1: Oh, look, you know, we're constantly investing in you know research and uh, our organ- and our talent our people our team members are constantly learning new technologies mm-hmm. um, and you know we're working with great organizations you know we obviously
0: So you're on had, the job
1: as a, and as a Melbourne based organization you yeah. know we you know, we go to the US every couple of, every you know probably twice a year okay. to make sure that you know we're right at the coalface of what's happening because it still is you know the center of a huge amount of innovation do so you go to
0: si- Silicon Valley or Reston where where, where, where do you go to learn this stuff
1: yeah, look. I mean, there's some great, it's some great conferences. There was a big um, data science conference in April.
0: That,
1: yeah, you know, that's the sort of one you want to go to. You want to absorb. If you want to take data science from a conceptual model, I think what it might be to actually, that's actually what it really is. I can touch it and feel it. And you know what we're doing for some for some customers now is we're running a data science hack for them. So, in two weeks, we'll get some data, we'll get yeah. their people, we'll run some workshops. So, at the end of that process, they come out of it with a real appreciation of what it is or what it's not. And now they've got context and experience, then they can make some good choices about what they invest in or what they don't. Where previously it was sort of more of a, a video that they saw on YouTube, right?
0: Okay. Or a TED talk or something. Yeah. So, what, one, of your, one of your propositions, one of your strong propositions, is a product called Results Now, which is a really, really strong offer, isn't it? So you're saying that we can take all this data, this tsunami of data that you guys sort of can't really handle or understand, we can make sense of out of it, and we can get you an ROI. Is that the proposition? At a high
1: level, yeah. It it is a proven, repeatable series of steps to help you go from, I've got too much data, I don't know how to get some value out of it, to a point where I'm actually seeing some value in the data, and... That's happening with you and your team is growing in their own capability. You know, kind of with us, because it's not. You know, there's a lot of consulting organisations that you know try to do it to You, you know, mm-hmm. our job is to do it with you, right? So we can kind of exit the building at some point, and you've got something sustainable and results. Now is a method that helps you kind of kickstart that process, and depending on the level of you know kind of engagement you want ongoing, you know, it can be you know some some or minor or all of that. You know, moving forward.
0: There's a work across multiple industries, or is it best suited to one or the other? Or? Oh, I mean, you've been involved in a lot of industries, right? You've been involved in gaming and retail and healthcare and insurance. I mean, is, is there one where it works better than the others? I mean, insurance, I think, would be pretty easy, wouldn't it? Sure, out of that.
1: Well, I think it works, from our experience, it's worked well across all the industries, really. You know, it sort of takes some of its kind of bones from actually some MIT research called Working Smarter. Yeah. If you kind of peel it all the way back, there's elements of Working Smarter that we've integrated into it, and, and that the team from MIT, CISA, where their research is all evidence-based, actually what people are really doing in the field. It's fantastic research. You know, we've taken elements of that. Yeah. You know, they've got the best research by far, and that's why I think it's, reason, it's portable. I think the question about results now and the question about this journey is, are you committed to going in after it? You know, okay. Because it's uncomfortable, right? It's a change.
0: But it's qualitatively agnostic. Yes. So a person who goes and enters their data for health insurance because they're a 25 year old lady who might want to become just got married want to get pregnant. How does that marry up to a person who wants to go and pull three cherries at a gaming machine? How does that work?
1: Well, I think it gets back to where the organisation sees value. So okay. you know, for for-profit organisations, you know, that's about you know their return on capital. It's about you know their revenue per customer. It might be their retention rates of customer. So. You know, whether it's, you know, the bum that's recently had, you know, two children, um, yeah, then that's some medical data in the health insurance. Well, you know, that, they also might have life insurance with that health product. They might have travel insurance. There might be other information there that helps really create a, a full view of how I can better help you as their customer, which means that I'll get a greater share of wallet over time. So it's sort of, in principle, it's applicable. I think where you've got not-for-profit sectors, okay. you know, it probably gets... A little bit harder because it's not as financially driven in some of those metrics but you can measure you know kind of social social contribution I mean because all of those organizations have a very strong ethos about their success you need to you need to unlock what they define as success and kind of piece it into objectives and then associate data with those objectives yeah. right so if it's yes you know, servicing you know um, in the service in the disability care sector Actually, I thought, well, now that's commercialised because it's NDIS, right? But um, maybe in other, in other not-for-profits, it's just about are we getting the most value out of the dollars that we capture?
0: Do, do you see it stopping? You know, is, is it going to keep going? we have got this this 90% in two years. Is this going to get more and more and more? We saw today Apple announced they're going to drop iTunes or phase iTunes out, mm-hmm. which you know, basically ruined record sales, and now Spotify ruined them. I mean, do you see this just... Com- Continue to emerge and change, or is one day we're going to say, "Look, that's enough's enough."
1: Uh, It feels like you know it will continue to change, and and the uh, pace at which it will change will continue to increase. You know, so the seven thousand bits of technology, maybe it's it's fifteen thousand, right? In two years' time, maybe. But
0: surely some of the seven thousand will go broke.
1: Yeah, I'm sure, but they'll be replaced by others. I mean, you've got a venture capital system, obviously in the U.S. and yeah. other places around the world. Yeah, you know, that's driving innovation. You know, you've got local, look. at Melbourne's actually quite a hub for you know some digital startups. Is that right? Yeah, it's probably the most popular one in Australia. Yeah. I mean, I think that still, you know, global sense, yeah. you know, we're kind of under-indexing. But you only know, need to look at you know, Atlassian, is Australian, sure, right?
0: Sure.
1: There's probably hundreds of others that could be on there. Like, I
0: saw the BRW Rich List about thirty guys with sort of barista beards and. <laughs> and funny haircuts yeah. they're all billionaires and... yeah they're doing well, why way. Melbourne then why, why Why suddenly is that why you're here in Melbourne no
1: well I mean I was going to say it was but no look I just think it's for whatever reason I mean I'm not 100% sure of you know whether there's been a key focus of mm-hmm. multiple governments but I think that's probably something that we can kind of tease out in a future podcast about you know kind of how does government policy help Australia become a real digital centre well the last
0: thing we should do is ask a government minister for a start because <laughs> I think they have no idea. Yeah,
1: well, I think we well, understand what their policies are, and what's you know, how do you create innovation? How do you give startups you know some incentives, right? How do you give them some space? How do you you know maybe they don't have to pay payroll tax up to ten people, right? How do you get universities as incubators? I mean, Melbourne probably has a much stronger education kind of concentration with the higher ed, and maybe that also is part of why we've got a lot
0: of digital. So Versor, you've been here how many years? Uh, about five years. Five years. Uh, and have been very successful. And Melbourne's a, a hub of Australia. Are you learning enough to be able to take Versa offshore? And if so, where would you go?
1: I think everything that we're doing we could absolutely take offshore. Yeah. And then I think it's about what markets... Uh, would you go to Asia
0: or would you go to... Let's assume you don't go to Europe or England, which used to be part of Europe.
1: Yeah, that's a fair way <laughs> away too. So, look, I think, um, you know, mature economies is where data has the greatest level of impact. So if I can solve a problem, you know, with labour cost-effectively, yeah. then that's still uh, the first choice for, you know, a lot of uh, Asian countries.
0: But you'd imagine that that would also be countries where the financial system is delivering... I mean, God knows how much data you get from them through FPOS and huh. and credit cards, and yeah. you must be able to swim in it. Well,
1: you know, India has something like... Whether it's, five, whether it's 500 million or a billion digital IDs for their citizens. They have some of the biggest big data the big data's ever seen. And, you know, some, there's some case studies on what they're achieving. Yeah, so, for us, I think it's, um, you know, Singapore, Hong Kong, mature okay. markets work well. So, so
0: you definitely head east rather than west?
1: Um, look, that would be our sense of it, but we know a, lot of, a number of Australian, you know, digital companies uh, are doing quite well in the US, you know, in the same way. I mean, I think we bring theory and practice and our ability to kind of really deliver outcomes, you know, pretty quickly I think is a really great Australian trait. Yeah, you know, we, we think and do really well. And I think that that's why what we've got is quite portable, you know, be it into you know the west coast of the US or into sort of parts of Asia.
0: So I'm a CMO right now and I'm listening to this podcast and I'm I'm just drowning in data. I have no idea what I'm gonna do with it. And and the board are jumping up and down saying we're investing millions of dollars collecting this stuff. How come you got it so wrong? But w- what do you want me to do as a CMO? apart from ring you, what are the actions I should take?
1: Well, I think I think yeah, yeah. taking an opportunity to kind of pause and reflect on where you've invested, what's worked, what's not, what data do you have. But the CMO knows their customers, right? So what are you listen to your customers. What are they telling you you got right? And then try to amplify and accelerate aspects of that and look at the tech that's using to help, do that right stuff for the customers, use the data that has the lineage to help that, and then maybe the other stuff, just kind of decommission it, park it, kind of pause on it, and try to do more of the things that are, are actually working.
0: So I'm the CMO for Coles, and, and my my supermarket in Balaclaba, which is heavily Jewish, bears no resemblance to my supermarket in Richmond, which is heavily Vietnamese. Is, is that, am I learning that from data, or is that just gut instinct? Oh
1: no, they've got data about demographics in those suburbs, and they've got cons- you know high levels of consumption data for you know product and time around that. So they're constantly optimising range. I think what they also have, which is where we started part of the conversation, is they have this flybys data. Yeah. So they know all the people in you know the kind of shop at the Richmond, you know, Coles what they buy and what sort of incentives you know actually get them in. Okay, and then they can track whether that incentive was the one and by placement of new products, did I increase, ultimately, the number of items per basket? And that's the job of, you know, the supermarkets, right? Have I got more things in your basket than you thought you were going to actually purchase?
0: Did you, do you access the data yourself or are the client has to give it to you?
1: Oh, no. no. The, all of the data sits at the client site. Okay. You know, it's, it's their data. You've got to be got to have a lot of security protocols over that data it's yeah. hugely sensitive yeah. um, and we make sure that we work in effectively
0: in their ecosystem so, so you can pick any data source in Australia to make your business even more successful which one do you take? Do you take NAB? Do you take frequent flyers? What do you take? Which industry though? Okay, depends on the industry Yeah Okay, let's assume it's agnostic What's the data source you think would really help Verso grow even more?
1: I think it's, it's, um, it's B2B consumption
0: B2B yeah, consumption, Because
1: okay. we're a B2B company. So yeah. it's, um, it's digital. Yeah, the silver bullet, and you, you could identify exactly what digital spend occurred across industry and we know which, industry, which companies are sort of winning in industry and not, Yes. Um, then you'd overlay that together to create effectively a, a potential group of companies that we'd like to go talk to and help out.
0: Dougal, it's been fascinating. Thank you for sharing those insights with me. We're talking to Dougal McBurney, who's the Managing Director of Versor, which is, we know, based in Melbourne, which apparently is the leading digital and IT company, uh, IT city in, in Australia. So thank you very much for sharing with us the concept of big data and big business and, and uh, help us understand. Thanks it's been great.